Welcome to the next level. This is JVL. I'm here with my best friends, Sarah Longwell and Tim Miller. Guys, slow news week. <laughs> yeah. Do, do, do you want to just talk about any, like, we haven't talked since last week, uh, and a lifetime has happened since we, wait, when we talked last time, had the debate, oh, the debate had happened. <laughs> the debate had just happened. We were, just happened. We were post. So I this have to tell you, crazy. I was outraged righteously and correctly about the president refusing to condemn white supremacists yeah. the last time that we had talked. Which, that which feels was, like that could have been in the first term and of the Obama years. The $750 tax payment, right? So this is, we are nine days out from the New York Times tax story, seven days out from the white supremacy debate story. And both, neither of those things will ever be mentioned again in the course of this campaign. Isn't I'm going to bring up the white supremacy thing a few more times, personally. But uh, yeah, I'd I, I take your point. All right. So let's start with you, Sarah, talking about what is happening just at the top level of polling over the course of the last week. Yeah. So let me preface this by saying that um, specifically in my life, I did everything I could to avoid numbers. Um, I was quite certain that I was going to be a woman of letters. Um, I basically, my, my, my little school that I went to invented a course for me called the history of math so that I didn't actually have to take like real math. That is not true. Uh, it's a hundred percent true. It's a real thing that happened. I would write papers cause I'm great at writing papers. The poetry uh, so, of math. Yeah. And so it's they like, invented well, it for you at, 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 at Kenyon, the Rambles. I was. No, no, not at, not at Kenyon, but I did go to Kenyon in part because at the time it had no math requirement. <laughs> and I say all of this um, because it's important context for knowing that I now both A, run a business that requires a, a great deal of math. Uh, I control large budgets with large sums of money, and I constantly have to read polling and cross tabs and things like that. Um, also, I play blackjack a lot, uh, which also requires uh, being able to count to 21 and do a lot of subtraction really fast. Anyway, the point is, is that kids... Take math seriously. You never know when you're going to need it. Um, so, uh, so we got some polling out, right? So there's been Tim. Tim can attest to this. We we've been trying to put a poll in the field for a minute here. Ever since ever since uh, the Supreme Court seat was vacated, uh, we've basically <laughs> just we've literally deleted. to this point. I was like trying to decide. Like the other day, I was like, "Why did we delay our poll in the first place again? Like, what happened two weeks ago?" And it took me a good solid ninety-five seconds to remember that <laughs> Ruth Bader Ginsburg had died. Because we both we delayed the poll and then we had to stop the poll midfield because the president was hospitalized. And so, you know, I think the polling people trying to get like snapshots of what's going on are having a tough time because there's so much noise that you can't figure out how any event in particular is playing. But I think one thing that we can say pretty clearly, and I'm not the guys over at 538 or anything, but I think it's safe to say that the polls have moved uh, somewhat it seems most appreciably since the debate. And so I'm just going to run Trump, right because he was so strong at the debate. Yes, yes, yes. No, he's 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 bounced back. We're on okay. a we're in a tightening phase. Um everything's coming up roses for him. No. Uh the polls are bad for him as they have been, uh but there's been like some doozies that have come out. Um so right now in the 538 averages, uh Joe Biden now leads by 9 points, which is up sort of 2 points from where he was, you know, 10 days ago. Um, we have seen some like crazy polling coming out of Pennsylvania that has uh, Trump up, I'm sorry, Biden up 
double digits. We had the uh, CNN poll most recently that seems to have captured some of his coronavirus uh, situation that had him up 14 points. Uh, We had the NBC Wall Street Journal poll over the weekend that also had 14 points. Um, And and there's the the, the central point that, oh, and then, sorry, I'm just going to go through the swing. The the CNBC just today came out with the swing state polling, which, of course, we know that the national averages, uh, they're not meaningless, but they're also not really what we need to know. We need to know is how things are looking in the swing states. And so right now, CNBC just released six key battleground states. They've got Michigan. Biden, 51, Trump, 43. That's a plus eight. Wisconsin, Biden, 51, Trump, 44. That's a plus seven. Arizona, Biden, 51, Trump, 45. That's a plus six. Florida, Biden, 50, Trump, 46. That's a plus four. PA, Biden, 50, Trump, 46. Also plus four. North Carolina, Biden, 59, or sorry, 49, Trump, 47. That's a plus two. Um, The most interesting thing about those numbers is that Biden is uh, clearing the 50% threshold in, in almost all the swing states, which is very difficult to do in the hyper-polarized world. And the, the last point I would make on the polling, especially on the CNN polling, there's a lot of people who are sort of looking at the polls that are coming out and saying, man, the bottom's really falling out for Trump. That's not true, actually. What's happening is the ceiling is going higher for Biden. Um, even in the CNN poll uh, that has the 14-point spread, or Trump is still at you know 41, which is basically where he lives. I mean, he's at 42% in the 538 averages. That's roughly mirrors his approval rating. It's it maybe underperforms it by a point or two. Um, but the the it was that Biden was up, you know, Biden's getting up in the 55, 56, 57 range on some of these polls, and he's clearing 50% in the swing states. And so, you know, I wrote a piece recently for the bulwark about the fact that like everybody's constantly on Joe Biden being like, oh my God, he's going to blow it. Oh, he's doing this thing wrong. Why is he not? Why is he pulling his negative ads? Uh, Joe Biden's doing everything right. Joe Biden is figuring out everything right. Joe Biden is figuring out like, guys, people know that Donald Trump is terrible, right? The, the, The closing argument here is why somebody should cast an affirmative vote for Joe Biden. If he replaces every negative ad with a pro Biden ad making the case about why people should vote for him as opposed to against Trump, he should have been doing that anyway. That is the right move. Anyway, that's my that's my quick rundown. What do you what, what do you guys have? Nine of the last 14 polls, national polls have showed Biden with a double digit lead. And so you don't have to believe this. CNN is actually plus 16. It showed Biden at 56%, I think. Uh, And you don't have to believe any one of them. Uh, But things are not good. I mean, the the Trump-friendly view of these polls is that actually he's only down eight or nine. That's that's their rosy scenario. The they're like, don't Ooh, worry. You know, I was listening fine. to another center right podcast that won't be named commentary, <clears throat> and they were they were saying that it could be much better than that. Actually, if you consider, uh, you know, the shy Trump voter, um, if you unskew the polls a little bit, um, you know, if you reweight them, he could he could maybe be down by five, six. I uh, so first four. of all, I don't believe the shy Trump. Voters. I think we're past the point where there are shy Trump voters uh, in any measurable quantity. I have seen enough. I have seen enough boat parades. I've seen enough boat parades and seen enough flags 
to believe that anybody who is into Trump, who's left on the board, is still really into him. Uh, and even if he's only down six, only down six with four weeks out, and the economy in free fall is, as the incumbent, is not good. It's really not good, right? No, it's not good. Um, and I, I'm, of, I'm of two minds about it. Um, I think uh, three minds, really. I think it could be temporary. Um, so I, I don't think we'll true. really know till next week. Absolutely I, true. It could be. Um, you know, I mean, a lot of a lot of times this movement in the polls is just people responding to what's in the news. And I mean, the news doesn't get much worse than, um, you know, becoming a super spreading vector of a deadly don't. disease that you haven't Tim, taken Tim. seriously and having to Tim. be airlifted to the hospital. <clears throat> Tim. Yeah. Don't don't ever say it can't get much worse. Has this year showed <laughs> okay, you well, nothing? It's hard. Don't to say get, that out loud. It's hard to get much worse. I mean, I, I guess it could. I, one way that it could get worse, just off the top of my head, is some people could start dying as a result of um, him being a super spreader. So not to be macabre, but that's one way to get it worse. But I'm sure there are others. Um, so it could be temporary. That's one thing. Uh, I think on the um, other, I'll just start on the rain cloud side. On the other thing, um, I, I, you know, again, these swing states. The reason why they're swing states is because they are um, uh, demographically more favorable to Trump than the national average. I mean, if this was a popular vote, uh, we could all just put our, our feet up on the table at this point, uh, I think, and 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 just coronate Joe Biden. But it isn't. And so, you know, we as the part of the uh, RVAP poll that, that Sarah was talking about, um, you know, we're seeing some signs um, that that the numbers aren't. Um, quite as dire for Trump in you know the upper Midwest, for example, um, as as the national polls are showing, and I think we'll probably see more of that in public data as as the weeks come on, and, and to see whether or not that's true. Um, the last optimistic note I'll take, and, and honestly, if I was placing a bet at this point, I, I would say that this is where we are: is that this is two thousand and six for the Republicans. Uh, um, what we're seeing here is, is, is and in 2006, for, for any youngs that are listening, um, we had, uh, you know, the, uh, we were coming off of the Harriet Myers debacle in the Supreme Court, coming off of Katrina, the mismanagement of that. And then, you know, the Iraq war had become a full on foobar by that point. Um, and, uh, you know, the Republicans didn't pick up a single seat in any, how in any district in the country that year. Um, I was on one of those losers. Um, and I, um, you know, and then at the very end of 2016, I guess the equivalent of this, or I'm sorry, at the very end of 26, 2006, the equivalent of this COVID super spreader event would have been the Mark Foley scandal, page scandal, um, which was a big deal uh, at the time. And, and the bottom just fell out. You know, the bottom just completely fell out of Bush's approval. We lost everywhere. Now this was a midterm, not a presidential year, but that, kind of seems to be what is what's happening here um and and i'm getting some signs of that from friends who are still working on campaigns or, I, I received a text from a friend who's working in iowa you know today that said that trump and, and biden are tied there uh that Joni is is pulling worse than trump um that all of the house districts except for the steve king district are in trouble and, you know, that is the sign of, of a 2006-like tsunami in favor of the Democrats. If things are that bad for Trump in Iowa 
and Ohio. This is where I, I keep it. So, so Trump, we, we, you guys have seen this. Trump has basically pulled out of all ad spending in Ohio, even though Ohio is very, very close. Dude's broke. Dude's well, broke. But, but there's also a strategic factor, which is that if, if the polling is right, like if all the polling is basically close, then it doesn't really matter. And if Ohio is nip and tuck and he can't win Ohio without a major spend there, then he's dead anyway. Right. I mean, is, is that yeah. like a rational strategic calculus from the Trump campaign? If you can't take Ohio, which he was plus eight in last time and Iowa, which I don't even remember how much you want Iowa by, but if he can't take those two places for granted, then he has no path to victory anyway. So why bother spending money there? Because if he's going to get blown out, what, what does it matter to Donald Trump, who does not care at all about the Republican Party and the Republican Senate? What does he care if he loses by six points or, or 13 points? He doesn't give a crap. So I have two right? thoughts on this, but my first is a question. Does anybody know, Tim, do you know where he is, he is spending? Like, where are they putting their money right now? Georgia? Florida, this? Georgia, Florida. I think. Yeah, Florida's, I mean, Florida's at least a good call. Yeah, and then, um, North, I mean, North Carolina, Arizona, uh, uh, Wisconsin. Yeah, Wisconsin, there's many up there too. Yeah, okay. Uh, so here's, I mean, here's the answer. And the, and the reason that all of these states are similarly competitive is for, I think, one big reason. And the reason's women. Uh, college educated, non-college educated, whatever. Uh, women the the chasm between Biden and Trump it is almost double so so Trump is now living around 33% with women while Biden is up around 60% you you can't win that way like and and it's and so they are and it's it's the reason people it's the down ballot reason too that like Lindsey Graham is cratering I don't know if you saw this the Cook political report just rated uh South Carolina Senate race as a toss up now between Lindsey Graham and Jamie Harrison and that is because uh, I don't buy that. By the way, don't get excited. Resistance that's fine. listeners. I, yeah, that's fine. Uh, I also I also think it's probably uh, overrated. But but the reason it's even close in a place like South Carolina is because of women. Um, and and it's one of the things. And obviously, there's other factors. You know, you got uh, seniors are moving against Trump, which is a big problem for him in places like Arizona and Florida. Um, the even non-college uh, white women, Joe Biden is winning by a lot. Non-college white men, he's pulling much closer than Hillary Clinton did uh, and eating into Trump's base. And so that's that's the reason for the margins. But like the big story is going to be women. And I just I just want to lay down the markets. I, I, I won't do a premature victory lap, um, but it will be great after how disgusting he has been to women his entire life. And during his campaign and presidency, shout out to all the sperm and housewives out there. Uh, it will be great if women cost him this election. I just, just really quick on the Ohio point for, yeah. for the nerds, um, JVL. So if you're looking at the tipping points, you know, for Trump to win mm -hmm. the presidency, uh, as it stands now, based on the polling, if he wins Ohio to, to, to win re-election, he still has to win North Carolina, Florida, Arizona, Nebraska too, and Pennsylvania or Wisconsin. So like, uh, to your point, I, I think as a strategic matter, this is not really the same as 
you know, Hillary's uh, Wisconsin mistake last time. Yeah, I, you no, know, that's what just, I'm saying. Like, Ohio I don't think is a... deep, deep, deep into what what he would. Yeah, need. yeah, that's right. He needs to. If he can't take that for granted, then it doesn't matter. Right. You know. So yeah, I have a question for you guys. As a, and I need you to put aside all questions of morality and ethics. No problem. But, <laughs> it's kind of an issue for me. I'm, I'm sort of you know going through a transition in my life. But uh, okay, Sarah can take the first answer. Then. If you were a vulnerable Senate Republican right now, looking at these numbers, what would you think your best play was to hold on to your seat? Now, the moral answer is that the best play would be to start calling things by right names and saying. You know what? It turns out this asshole over here uh, is responsible for the deaths of, you know, 210,000 Americans. And I am out. I'm going to speak my mind. But that that, of course, is probably not the electorally strategically smart thing to do. If you guys were advising a Joni Ernst or Lindsey Graham, how would you tell them to get out of this fix? Oh, this doesn't require any suspension of morals. I would be marching. I would be furious right now about the White House pulling the negotiations on the stimulus package. Like the one thing Susan Collins and those guys have to run on is like what they bring their state. Right. Because the people know them. And so what they can they like actually when you're at a state office. Right. You can genuinely run on like, here's what I've done for you guys. Uh, And Donald Trump just took the biggest uh you know meat slab that they come running back in their jowls with away from them but he then walked it right back right tim i mean five hours later he's like actually uh, no mark meadows clarified that no negotiations are off this morning i mean he did try to walk it back in his very deep twitter negotiation which we can get into but um yeah no he didn't walk it back uh as it stands now so tim what would you tell i would get into a time machine like Marty yeah, McFly, okay. I think, if I was there. Well, if there is no DeLorean available to you. No, oh, no DeLorean. Um, I, you know, I, I mean, I, Joni is in a tougher uh, position than, say, Cory Gardner, who I guess has decided just to end his political career uh, without trying, uh, which is an inter- interesting life choice. Um, but, uh, you know, Joni, I think, can still squeak this out and, and can't get too far on the wrong side of the magas. Um, I do think that there are ways, particularly I think Trump has shown in the past that he doesn't actually lash out on things like the stimulus um, where, you know, they could, you know, lean in to um, to, to advertising on, on things that they want to do more of, um, areas where they have, you know, policy disagreements with the president. Uh, I guess that's what I'd look into. But the problem is, like, they're on it. They're they're tied to this ship. Uh, you know, I mean, the, the, all, all they can do is try to fix it in the margins. I mean, you saw Cornyn, which shows you that he's really worried in Texas for the first time, acknowledged that that you know Trump kind of let this virus um, get out of control. Not not for the whole country. He was just speaking about you know what was happening at the White House. Um, but I mean, I think that shows you that he's looking at the data and just seeing devastating numbers in Harris County and Dallas and San Antonio, um, and and he's worried about it. So I, I think that 
the the reality is we've spent this whole four years where everybody bought this conventional wisdom that you can't criticize them or else you become Jeff Flake. And nobody really tried or modeled the system where, where it's like, you know, I'm going to pretty much support Trump, but I'm going to pick strategic ways to get out from under him and see if that works. Maybe it doesn't work. I don't know. You know, maybe the crazy cultists don't vote right? for you if you criticize him one time. I don't know, but you'd think it would be worth a try. None of Isn't these guys even Saturday? gave it a try. Isn't that the SAS model? No, the SAS model was criticize him for six months, see your poll numbers go down, and then go into hiding like a hermit for three years, win your primary, and then the next day start criticizing him again. So interesting model, I guess, but not really one that's relevant to Joni ahead of her election. Yeah, I guess that's right. Uh, all right, more poll talk or are we ready to move on? Did you guys no, want to talk about that other thing? What other thing? That we had talked about before, before we came thing? on the show. What secret thing? The other, the other poll. I mentioned it a little. I mentioned the RVAT. Um, you know, we're, we'll we'll know more. Um, you know, we just kind of got the top lines, but the gist of our RVAT poll is just not quite as bullish as the um, national numbers that we're seeing. Um, that could possibly be, you know, a margin of error issue. I think the other thing, though, to be mindful of is that it could be just that these swing states aren't moving is dramatically um they're getting much more advertising to them um demographically they're much more favorable to trump so again uh, biden's still winning um but it, but we're not seeing you know kind of this bottom fallout like you saw in the cnn that that's that's about what we know at this point all right sarah anything you want to no, it's good. Let's, go. let's move on what's, okay. what's next uh i would like to talk about the president's drug problem uh <laughs> So I, I wrote a little bit about this yesterday. This is, you know, I, I reach at any opportunity to use any of the knowledge that I accumulated during my pre-med days. Uh, he is currently on a whole cocktail of therapeutics for his COVID, uh, one of which is a corticosteroid called uh, dexamethasone or, or DXM, because uh, I don't want you guys to have to pronounce it over and over again. And Dexamethasone? De- yes. It is a, I got it. Very good. Uh, it's a very common, commonly prescribed uh, steroid. It's used to treat inflammation. People use it in various uh, arthritis-based ailments like colitis. Uh, it's even used sometimes with, with uh, certain types of cancer patients. So it's not an exotic drug at all. Uh, its side effects are all relatively mild types of things like, you know, irritable stomach. But it also has some... Uh, some psychic side effects, one of which can be depression and one of which can be manias. And these are pretty well established by the medical community. And it sure looks like the president is exhibiting mania-like behaviors that you could look at his insistence on driving around in an SUV outside of Walter Reed to wave to the QAnon people and the Proud Boys. Uh, there was his weirdo Evita Perone balcony salute to nobody. There was the tweet about how the flu is worse than COVID for many, many people. There was the tweet claiming that he feels better today than he has in 20 years, meaning that he feels healthier and better now than he was when he was in his early 50s, which sounds insane to me. Uh and then Not there was you're the, riding a high. 
the crazy Twitter negotiations he conducted with himself last night uh, on the stimulus. So all of this stuff looks like... like Just read one more tweet that he just did. Yeah. Um, Just, you know, so we can be timely. Uh, Heather Renee 80 tweeted, I would wade through a sea of COVID-infested water to vote for President Trump on November 3rd. The president appreciated her regards on that. Retweet smash. Retweet smash. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, first of all, do you guys think this looks like a drug-induced mania? Or do you think that this is indistinguishable from any normal Trumpian behavior? Sarah. So here's the one thing. So I, about three or four years ago, it was before I had kids. Uh, so maybe it was even like five years ago. I got pneumonia. And it was a pretty tough case of pneumonia. It was bad enough that I was in Las Vegas and I decided I need to get on a plane and go home. Uh, and you, it was so bad that you stopped gambling. It was so bad I stopped gambling. Um, <laughs> you must have been a death door. <laughs> it was. It was. It was awful. And and I I remember you know I got back and immediately got in the car and like threw up. But anyway, I felt terrible. I, I felt it, it was as bad as I'd ever felt. Like I just I can I, I won't give you graphics, but like just how exhausted I was. And what they did is they then they started me on a course of steroids, like once I got to the doctor. And I will never forget being like, oh, my God, well, I can do anything. This is amazing. Steroids are incredible. And, uh, you know, I think we often uh, use the phrase Trump on steroids, meaning that he is Trump extra. But he is now literally on steroids. And I'll just I mean, like that just I don't know about mania, but it does make you feel like great. Like, especially uh, after you've been at a real low, it's just like all of a sudden when you feel awesome and like you could do anything, like I do think that's kind of where he is. And so what we see him doing, you know, because they're not letting him go anywhere. So he feels awesome and like he wants to take on the world and he's stuck in the, you know, residence with nothing but his cell phone. And I just think we're seeing the fruits of that. Tim. Um, I, I don't I think Trump is Trump. Okay, and Trump has been Trump since about the 80s, Um, though you do watch some interviews from the 80s and occasionally he uses words that are outside of his like 400 word vocabulary that he has right now. Like he he did no adverbs besides strongly back in the early 80s. Um, But uh, I I don't I'm not sure that that he's on some sort of drug induced hallucinogen of any type or that he's not being his natural self. I do. I I think that the 20 year tweet was interesting and and I don't doubt I I, I heard from similar. I've never been on steroids. They're sounding kind of fun, though. So I'm I'm maybe going to think about finding an excuse. Um, But I heard someone similarly to Sarah say that they felt the same way. Right. Like that they uh, that they felt like as good as they felt in a decade um, when they were on steroids. So that tweet in particular might have had an impact on um, his, his physical uh, self. But I, I just think this is crazy Trump tweeting late into the night. He's got nothing to do. He's sitting in his bathrobe. He's watching Fox. He doesn't like what people are saying on TV. The poll numbers are looking bad. He can't go out and do things. He can't listen to people compliment him, which is all that he wants because, you know, he has to be relatively quarantined, I presume. Who the hell knows exactly what he's doing, but he can't. He's not going outside and it's driving him crazy. And so what does he do when he's annoyed? He sends out a lot of tweets. So I don't know. I'm not sure that this is that different than your standard Trumpian fare. 
um, as far as, um, you know, whether the drugs are having an impact on them. Can I just add one thing? I just, I think one thing that people don't, they're not, I don't think they're talking about enough is that Donald Trump is probably in this moment deeply, deeply humiliated, right? Imagine that you've held the super spreader event for the virus that you have been saying barely exists, that you had to go to the hospital for the thing that you said was no big deal. And he's obviously tried to engineer a situation where it looks like he's triumphantly recovered from it. But like, it is, there is no other way to read it other than you guys are a bunch of clowns. Every day, another story comes out about another person infected, Stephen Miller. Uh, and, and, it is it is deeply humiliating for all of them. I think this is a very important point, and that he's overcompensating for this, and that the thing that he fears most is humiliation, and the second thing he fears most is germs. He's a germaphobe. Uh, his whole his whole brand and his whole shtick is strong. That's why every time they take a picture of him, he does the weird Gaddafi pose, where he's like got a scowl stare. And like, that's the photo of him that's up in the post office, which is like one of the weirdest fucking things uh, I've ever seen. Um, uh, you know, it's his whole self. I, I, it's how he identifies himself. And so I absolutely agree with that. And, and that this overcompensation for the humiliation is, is also a big driver of his actions. Well, that's, that is in its own way comforting. I would like <laughs> to believe that him saying he feels better than he has in 20 years is just the normal sort of Trumpian exaggeration. Like this is the biggest trade deal that has ever been done or something like that. Because the alternative is that even his normally skewed cognitive function is currently compromised at the same moment when large numbers of the West Wing staff are in quarantine, the president himself is in quarantine, and the Joint Chiefs of Staff are all in quarantine. And so if I were a bad guy out in the world who was looking to make off with whatever pieces of silver I could get from the cabinet before the new sheriff comes into town, uh, this is when I would do it. If I that just been the whole last four years, though, I mean, any of these guys, except for except for Iran, are any of them? uh, Any of them worried about this guy at all? Uh, No, but it's been the slow grift because they they knew you know they could just take piece by piece by piece. If I if I was Russia and I wanted to annex someplace else in the in the Baltics, if I was uh, China looking to do something with Taiwan, all of these now is the time because. America is not even capable of responding in this moment. Like literally our command structure is essentially decapitated. So, uh, you know, good luck to us. Let's hope that we can make it through the next 100 days. Is that how long it is until there's a new president inaugurated? Because between now and then, and God forbid Trump loses, uh, and then we're in a lame duck session, right? (laughs) The gloves are off. This is the time then for everybody to just take whatever they can get out in the world, knowing that America cannot respond. We are leaderless and unable. This is like, you know, neocon warhawk talk, but uh, it, it just strikes me as a very dangerous moment and we will be lucky to get through it. Um, so this, uh, uh, your comment there about um, 
uh, you know, his actions as we get closer and closer and, 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 you know, what the threats are for that is something that I was thinking about last night as I was writing about his crazy self-negotiations on the stimulus for the, for the bulwark. And to that point, um, we're just giving you live, live tweets here. Um, three minutes ago, now that the radical left Democrats got caught, misspelled, cold, and the non-friendly transfer of government, they spied on my campaign and went for a coup. We are entitled to ask the voters for four more years. That's all caps. So that's a concerning tweet. Um, uh, you know, I, I think that this, he, he is going to continue to get more desperate. The bar tweet, you know, look, I, I think that there is like a, a dark comedy in his just absolutely <laughs> absurdly bad Twitter negotiation with Nancy Pelosi, where he take, he threatens to take get out of the stim or he says that we're ending stimulus negotiations, the market tanks. And then he starts calling her ugly. And then he's like, actually, you know, I'll take a, I'll take $1,200 of Trump bucks in a standalone bill. If you, if you want to give that to me uh, while Nancy just is silent um, on the other side, um, there's some comedy in that, but, but scattered within that, Within those self-negotiating tweets were like these like demands that Bill Barr arrest his enemies, like retweets of like really weird conservative conspiracy guys. And I mean, I do think that there is going to be a lot of pressure on, um, you know, the sort of infrastructure around him to to act against increasingly crazy demands um, as evidenced by what we see in the last 24 hours. And that that's concerning. Yeah, like what's all the declassify declassification stuff? Yeah. Like what is he even trying to do here? And he's like thinks that he can what prove that there was a conspiracy against him in 2016 yeah. and that that's going to win him the election. I, I think vengeance. I think he want, just wants yeah. vengeance. He like I think he sees that all of his people have gotten arrested, and like he's been like his brain has been turned to mud by Trish Regan, and he thinks that like it's true <laughs> that Barack Obama was really like tapping his wires, and that that he should go to jail just like Paul Manafort and Roger Stone and Rick Gates, and sounds like Brad Parscale maybe, and everybody else around him. I, I think that that's it. Like he wants vengeance. I think he he is lashing out. So while we're talking about conspiracy theories, Timothy, yeah, would you like to talk about your conspiracy theory? Yeah, you're a little more further down the conspiracy train than me. Um, but what? I wrote. See, you know, nobody ever appreciates where the real hard work goes in. Um, over the last week for the bulwark, I've written, you know, a couple of. Uh, tongue-in-cheek kind of macabre comedy pieces about our mad king um and his uh you know pinochet evita moment and then again on uh you know his art of the dealing against himself last night and the traffic doing great but you know a very detailed look at the president's testing regiment uh around COVID 19 not not getting as much attention um and and I, maybe we should have framed it in a, in in this manner, which is the more conspiratorial manner, but I think increasingly looks to be true. And and that is that the president must have tested positive for the virus uh, before he left for New Jersey, maybe before he left for Minnesota, maybe before the debate with Joe Biden, maybe before the Gold Star family event on Sunday. Uh, it's we, It is just hard to know. And the fact that they continue to stonewall about this but a very simple question which was when did the president last test negative 
They haven't answered that question. And so what we have here is this period between the Amy Coney Barrett super spreader event, Oso Pro Life, and the Thursday admission that he tested positive after the New Jersey event. Very convenient that they say that he tested positive for the first time right after his last public event. Um, there's a complete black hole where they won't say, even though they claim that he was tested every day. So Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And when I talked to, I, I called a number of my friends who are doctors who are testing COVID patients who I've been sort of uh, checking my crazy with. Um, and, you know, they're like, anything is possible. It's a weird, you know, the testing isn't perfect, et cetera. But the idea that, that ne- neither him nor the people around him would have tested during an asymptomatic period and, and that, that they would not have caught it until right before he had to go get airlifted to the hospital if he was really testing every day is just, is just really hard to imagine. And so maybe he wasn't doing it and they're lying about the protocols or maybe he was doing it and, and he knowingly and purposefully put people at risk. JVL, where do you land? Uh, I I do not believe that there is any reason to not release the information about his daily testing regimen and the results, because if it was helpful information to the president, then they would release it because it is helpful to him. Right. The fact that they won't suggests to me that it must be unhelpful. And when I look at it, I think that Wednesday looks like the most logical day for him to know at least that he had been exposed because he knows that Hopi has been quarantined on the the flight home. So by Wednesday, he knows for certain that he's been exposed, whether or not he knows about his own testing. Correct. And then when you look at the other, he then lies on the Hannity program when he says, we know that he has the diagnosis when he's on Hannity, but he says he's still waiting for the test. That's that's not true. Uh, There are so many lies being told. And again, how do you know if it's different from any other time? Because he's always he always lies about everything. He lies about how many electoral votes he won in 2016, like literally all the time. You know, for four years, he has just, you know, misstated that number over and over and over and over again. So who knows where conspiracy ends and mere cognitive decline begins? Because, this, again, this is a man who cannot process information and think clearly in the way that a normal human being does. I don't mean to sound like a crazy person, but but again, if he if he was your relative, you would think that something was wrong with him, that he was experiencing the beginnings of mild dementia. So I, I, I suspect that what they're terrified of is it looking like he was positive before the debate. That's exactly that's my, right. That's that, my that's conspiracy for sure. theory. I think that's for sure right. Um, and be, and here's here's my thought. My thought is, is that, listen. For tests, sure? The, yeah. I think that's what they're worried about. So here's, here's what I think. Can I, I'm just going to, if, I think that he, wasn't getting tested, right? So he doesn't like the tests. They go the the deep tests as opposed to the rapid tests. Um, he everyone around him is getting tested, so he feels like he doesn't need to test himself. Uh, so I think he doesn't. He maybe he hadn't tested himself, let's say, uh, since like the weekend or something, and so they don't have a test, and it becomes clear 
based on where he is in the course of his illness, that he was likely positive when he debated Joe Biden. Yeah, and didn't get tested. So this is the, the key point on this is what happened at the debate. So he arrived too late to get tested pre-debate, which is in itself is a little bit weird. Wait, but no, just the, really quick. He says, okay, if we're going to go as a Bruder film on this, because I looked at this, they get to the hotel. I'm going from memory now, so I could be off by 30 minutes or something, but something around five o'clock. And the debate isn't till eight, something around eight o'clock local time. I, I had to get tested, humble brag for the Bill Marshall uh, on the rapid test. And it, it, it took 12 minutes. 14, 18 minutes at most. I mean, it was a very short and pleasant, maybe not pleasant, but manageable experience. So I don't, I don't, unless he was very busy signing lots of papers in that three hour period, uh, he clearly did have time to get tested. So he, but he, but he doesn't get tested, right? right? One way or another, he doesn't get tested. The debate commission says, uh, well, they provided us with a negative test that was taken sometime in the previous 72 hours. Or no, I'm sorry, that's not, they did not provide a negative test, but they claimed to have had a negative test right. at some point in the previous 72 hours, which introduces all sorts of possibilities, which normally we would say like, hey, discount that because we don't live in a crazy world. But we, with this present, we do kind of live in a crazy world. Entirely possible that A, they simply made up the test result and they didn't have one. Also possible that they sent a negative test result from Saturday night. Uh, and then he tested positive on Sunday or Monday, and they just said, we're going to not go with those, right? I mean, it, yeah. if this stuff was helpful to Trump, then he would make it public. Uh, and my, my, and this is, what I don't really want to go too far down into my conspiracy well, but I think there are good strategic reasons for him to have gone to the debate if he believed that he was COVID positive. And it, and while we're down the conspiracy, well, I'll throw this at you. After I wrote the article, a well-placed um, reporter said that they've not been able to track this down, but that they've heard that he that he had tested positive several times um, prior to the test that that he you know finally when he finally tweeted and announced that he was positive, not just the one time that, that there were several positive tests that he either didn't believe, didn't want to believe. Whatever. Yeah. yeah, that's the other thing that doesn't make sense about their timeline is that they're claiming he he, he is tested every day, and then he became symptomatic like four hours after his first positive <laughs> yeah, test. Just, yeah, it's, which it's is very very it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, um, we and, we're and running, can I just say, yeah, I'm not I'm not accusing him of going into the debate knowing he had COVID. I just think that it is not at all unlikely that he hadn't been tested, you know, recently enough. And that he very likely had it based on what we know about when he became symptomatic. For sure. For sure. And I am not accusing either. I am merely <laughs> saying that if he did have it, there is a certain amount of strategic sense that it would make to continue and, and move on with the debate. To a person such as Donald Trump. Do you think that there's been a meeting somewhere in which they've debated the relative merits of saying he was likely symptomatic at that point and that's why he acted like a total lunatic at the debate. Uh, but if they admit that to try to say that he was sick during that, then they have to admit that they almost infected Joe Biden. Do you think that meeting's yeah. happening? 100% that meeting has happened. Uh, but probably over Zoom because all the people who would do it are themselves in quarantine now. 
Um, we, thoughts and prayers. We're running thoughts and prayers. Thoughts we're running prayers. out of time. Um, but we spent we spent a number of minutes without even discussing the debate tonight. I know we only have three topics. Should we just do rapid fire around? Yeah, and people who are listening to this, we're going to do a live stream tonight with the three of us plus Amanda Carpenter. It's going to be great. Unless uh, I have to do a more important thing, I might be dipping yeah, in. Unless you have to do a more important thing. Yeah. So go ahead, tell me, guys. Guys, tell me what you think. Uh, I, I will jump in with. Uh, I, I just here. I think that tonight is an incredible opportunity for Kamala Harris because look, it is, uh, and for America to get some answers on what we've been discussing, right? Like, so if you're her. Like, yeah, uh, uh, Mike Pence is a really smooth debater, and he's going to get up there and, and do a lot of lying and a lot of smooth talking. But she can say, hey, when did you guys know? She can say, why aren't the American people getting information? I mean, like, the the, the ability to pro- – like, he is going in with a historically weak hand. Like, what's he going to say? Yes, we did just hold a super spreader event at the White House. Yes, the president and all of his top aides – uh, have gotten the virus that I was the head of the task force responsible for protecting the country from, and I couldn't even protect everybody in the White House. Uh, why, yes, the president did tank the markets yesterday by pulling a coronavirus relief bill off the table. Like, he just, what is this guy even going to say? I, I, I can tell you. Antifa. <laughs> so I'm not kidding. I'm like, you count the number of times Pence says the word Antifa and the bailout tonight. fund and the bail and the bail fund. Yeah, because because Kamala, for those who don't know, Kamala uh, did, I think, tweet or promote a bail fund for people that were arrested after the George Floyd protests, which I guess encompassed some yep. some people that were arrested for things other than protesting, such as like looting or vandalism or whatever. Um I, I'm less rain cloud back uh, for the close. I'll close with a strong rain cloud, strong, very strong, very heavy uh, rain cloud take here. Um, and that is uh, these these guys are challenging to navigate uh, with the with the do Like Mike Pence has been honing now for five years his completely like bullshit non sequitur, um, you know, Earth to answers to all these questions and and kamala has been kind of in this democratic bubble uh you know it's not like she's doing fox interviews where she's used to sort of sparring with this uh, i thought that there's this kind of big expectations for her that she's going to be really great and you know knock him and knock him out because of the things you uh, sarah said about how how little he has to defend himself and i just i, I don't I think that those expectations should be tempered. It's hard to to rope a dope with these guys. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, I think that they've given her a lot of material, so she potentially could land a few blows. I think, regardless, my friend Peter Hamby just tweeted that plexiglass on the stage is the only thing people ever remember about this debate. So Kamala's already won. I think that's cur- probably correct, but um, I don't know. I think that the Yas Queen crowd might want to temper their expectations just a, just a hair. I hope not. Because I'd like to see him just pinned up against the wall. Because honestly, screw these guys. I mean, All right. Really, I'm just Good so job, bad. JPL, I'm so bad. Well, you know what? You can let that all out tonight on the live stream. Bye, all guys. Right. We'll Peace. see you guys there. Bye.